Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Welcome back. Uh, today we traveled back to America for this episode with an interview with a young up-and-coming composer from North Carolina. He began his composing, oh, sorry, he began composing music at eight and just graduated from the North Carolina School for the Arts where he made some seriously big waves with his music and artistry while studying with Lawrence Dillon. He began his first year of college at Juilliard this year and has many, many accomplishments. In 2019, he worked with the National Youth Orchestra of the United States of America and Antonio Papano to premiere his work, Delicate Tension. They had been commissioned by the American Embassy in Berlin for the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. He has also recently won the 68th BMI Student Composer Award, as well as the ASCAP Morton Gold Young Composer Award. I met this welcoming and warm young man while doing a deep dive on Instagram uh, his music is beautiful, terse, passionate, and gifted beyond his years. Like myself, he's passionate about social equality, and we're going to talk to him about depicting the real world in a musical form. Please welcome Tyson Davis. Yay! <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I guess we should just really start in with uh, that was a brief overview, but like, what's your musical background? Like, do you come from a yeah. musical family and things? Yeah, I mean, you know, I started, you know, composing and, you know, playing the piano when I was about eight, you know, and um, I just, I, I, I never really liked, per se, like learning an entire piece. I never really liked music. And I never really liked I don't know. I never really like like being so strictly restricted to to uh, learning the the pieces that I was learning, which were very you know old pieces. You know, I found them interesting. And I found them cool. I like the music, but like I, I think there was always I always found that there always there's some there was something missing. I always felt like with with when it came to piano. Um, and I have also had a very conservative teacher, relatively, you know. Um, so. Then I just I just started um, really started like improving on the pieces that I was working on, you know, secretly I guess, and you know the, that improv led to me, you know, writing my own pieces, you know, and they were really like little improvs and stuff like that, you know, relatively short, um, and I just continued it, continued to do it, and I got more obsessed with it, you know, um, and more and more passionate about it, you know, and so. Eventually, I joined the middle school orchestra. I was about, I guess, I would have been 11 at the time, and I, and I joined the middle school orchestra playing cello. 
and eventually bass um, because I really wanted to learn how to write for strings because I really had no clue how to write for strings. Um, and I did that and, you know, it was extremely helpful and I was writing pieces like every week, you know, over and over again, you know, and eventually that led me to, you know, UNTSA that I heard about it from a couple of people um, when I was in middle school and I applied my eighth grade year and I got in and, and um, I stayed for four years until I graduated. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like composers have, there's always, I feel like, I don't know if it's something just about being a composer, or it's where you sit down or you're playing a piece, you know, you're learning the piano, you just go, that's, something's wrong. Like, I'm, I guess yeah. identifying with you when you were saying that, I'm like, I've heard a few composers say that. I just, I just think that's a funny thing that, like, it's like your brain just goes, no, you know what? I have a better idea. Not Maybe not better. We're yeah. like, no, it should go this way. This is how this should end. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. It was just, it was just like, I don't know. It just always felt a little bit, I don't know, almost. I mean, the the, the rep, the rep of of of, of piano and that, that that conservatism that comes with piano playing, especially at the beginning of your piano uh, career. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just a little too. It was if it, it felt a little off. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I always liked the parts where it felt like the piece was really building up, you know, mm-hmm. and then it kind of went back, whether it was in sonata form or whatever went back to what it was supposed to talk about and i was just like no let's keep it going let's keep that going i like that yeah, yeah, develop. <laughs> yeah. i always like to rack up the tension really high <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so you played piano first i did i did i started playing piano when i was about eight or nine i was really interested in doing it i really wanted to do it i don't come from that much of a musical family you know my mom you know was you know, forced by her parents her parents to take piano lessons when she was a kid and she saw that I, I was interested in it so you know she helped me out with that um but for the most part no i don't come from a musical family really and i think i, I find that important i think kind of honestly because the pressure isn't there to be a musical person per se or a yeah. person of high musical esteem you know so I think I think me coming from people like my mom's a psychologist or my 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 grandmother a librarian people coming from people like that, you know I think is a little bit more healthier as a composer mm. maybe you know yeah yeah that's a beautiful beautiful perspective because I think sometimes it's easy to think like oh I didn't grow up in this um, industry so I don't have any I don't have a shot at this so I think. Um, that's a really beautiful way to look at that. Just saying like, now I, you know, there's no pressure. I can kind of go out and do my own thing. I can improv on these pieces. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. And I used to feel that way. I, I really used to feel that way when I was, you know, in middle school. Um, but it just, it, you know, I think if I really thought about it, you know, I think coming from that angle was more helpful than not. I think, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> So did you did you grow up listening to a lot of different kinds of music or, yeah. you know, because like when I was a kid, my mom listened mostly to either classical music like Mahler and uh, the Romantics or Led Zeppelin and, uh, you know, like- <laughs> the 70s rock music and things, you know, uh-huh. like not much in between. So <laughs> yeah, no, my mom basically grew up listening to the stuff that she grew up listening to i mean she was born in 1967 so she you know she listened to a lot of you know soul and a lot of 70s and 80s soul and marvin Gaye and stuff like that and so and i thought i thought it was really cool yeah but i think she really thought 
that it was a great idea that I branched out into other genres um, and, other, and other things that I was interested in individually because I really liked um, like I really I remember I really really liked Tchaikovsky the mm. first time I liked Tchaikovsky um, that wasn't Nutcracker you know I think it was like a, I think it was like that but um I think it was like a string quartet he wrote I think it's an E flat minor or E flat major or something like that um but I just remember being really taken back by this music and and the expressivity of this music and what it was achieving because i i mean i didn't know it at the time but you know i feel like you know i i I was we were i was born into uh, a generation that has so much um that has so much non-acoustic instruments in in the music you know um not that i think that's a problem per se but i think it was an important contrast and i and um a contrast that was needed um for me yeah absolutely yeah so with the with your improvisation did you that helped push you into composing like you took your little improvisations and wrote them down or yeah i did yeah i mean my mom got me some staff paper you know um and so um and I was always intrigued by like the idea of notation too. I always found that interesting how you could convey um, concrete, well, how you could convey at the abstract into concrete things like a crescendo to get louder, you know, hairpin and something like that. Um, so I, I used to really have like an idea or a motive, you know, and I would just stick with it. And then I just have to write it down. Um, yeah. Do you find that challenging when you get this idea in your head and there's, I, you know, I think one of the great challenges of composing is, is this idea that like, oh, you know, I've got these really great ideas and it's like, I think the hardest battle is, okay, translating that so that other wow. people can pick that up. Um, yeah. do, you ever, do you find that to be struggling or to be a challenge or do you kind of enjoy, you know, working with the notation and manipulating it to... I mean, I feel like I have a, I, I, I love the battle, I feel like, you know, and <laughs> I often feel like that, that's why I really it seems like the most organic thing for me personally as a composer is for me to write by hand so that I can like, I can write down the pitches or I can write down the rhythms that I think it could go to and then manipulate them and stretch them out. Um, I often talk like to my friends and stuff, like I like to stretch out ideas and pull them out like taffy and really stretching out and trying to see and get into the nooks and crannies of what's happening, you know? And like, whether it's like a intervallic thing or a, or dynamic thing or a rhythmic idea type thing, you know? So I try to dissect it as much as possible and then try to elaborate on it. Yeah, I heard that in your, so I checked out a couple of your works and I was, I loved that. It was like, I remember hearing an idea and being like, oh, you know, with some composers you go, that was great. I don't know if they'll bring that back. And, but with your music, I, I loved it because it came back, but it was different. It came back, but it was different. And it just came back in all these really unexpected ways. So I think you you have a real beautiful knack for that. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, that was, I really enjoyed hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to have as, I, like, I, I try to make them, like, as much, like, I'm trying to think. It's like, I try to have as much, you know, halfway intuition and halfway, you know, theoretical you know or like or like you know um, so i'm trying trying to always balance those two um because intuition i feel like is something that it seems like it often seems like it seems like i don't know like like i would say like higher academics that are composers sometimes oftentimes try to um think as of lower they think of it as lower oftentimes i feel like sometimes so Mm -hmm. um 
that can be a challenge, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you get that, especially, and I don't know, I've experienced this in my education. Um, it was, it wasn't that intuition was discouraged, but there is a, a pull in some academic circles to work mathematically or work yeah. in a system. You got to create your system and work from that. And I think there's something beautiful about following the intuitive side and seeing what yeah. your, mind, your mind will tell you where it needs to go. Um, and I was often encouraged to be that way. Um, some I was encouraged um, by some sometimes every now and again to be mathematical or to develop a mathematical sense in my music, which I don't really like because of my harmonic language. Because my harmonic language is so, um, I like to call it harmonically legal almost sometimes because it's like you're just like it's like I'm cha- like I'm being chased by the tonal police all the time, you know? Hey, you can't be doing that. Exactly, you know, so I, and it's so, my, my quote-unquote atonality is so free, I guess, it doesn't, it is, because it, it's so loosey-goosey, almost like, like, tap, you know, so um, I feel like a lot of people um, that I've run into have often, you know, tried to uh, if influence me to become more systematized with my push, on mm-hmm. you know, which I find sort of, I, I, I don't know, it just depends. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it could be developed really strongly so that it wouldn't be as um, distant from from the soul. But I feel like oftentimes it can it can come off a little too cold. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can identify with those struggles. Yeah. <laughs> I remember receiving praise for every time I did something like that. And in my head, I'm like, this is garbage to me. Like, I don't feel it at all. And I don't yeah. connect with this, but yeah <laughs> yeah but like also there are there are some serialists that i that i really like but like it just i don't know it just, it just i to to be to make everything seem like it's a puzzle you know that you have to put together is, is mm-hmm. a little too to handle and a little too dehumanizing i think i feel like you know yeah and i think um like Weber's my jam but it's like when you start in berg like when you start dissecting that it's like it it feels intuitive when you listen to some of those works and it's yeah. like if, if it's not intuitive to me i don't know if i need to be pursuing this i agree i agree and that's one of the beautiful things about jazz you know that's why the, the beautiful thing um that makes jazz such a extreme influence on everybody you know whether they whether they say it or not so do you have you have you grown up playing jazz or do you like to listen to a lot of jazz or I listen to a lot of jazz, but I have never played jazz. I have never really performed that much. You know, I, I guess you could call me like like Benjamin Britten said, like a nervous pianist. You know? <laughs> so like no, I have not. But um I am very much influenced by by everything really that I listen to, but I listen to a lot of jazz. I feel like everything that I, that I get my ears on is an influence. And I don't like to solely say that, you know, classical music is an influence solely or, or only classical composers are an influence. Cause I don't, I don't agree with that. You know, really? um, you know, no, I don't know. I, th- I think that, you know, I can be um, as influenced by Miles Davis as much as I can be influenced by, you know, Beethoven, I feel like. And, and I feel like that, the I don't know. It's like it's like the conservatism in conservatories or the conservatism in classical music can often make someone feel inadequate if they say that. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's like I don't know. And, and being at a conservatory, you know, as we know, that can be a challenge. Yeah. You know, people people love to separate 
oh, I play this, but every now and again, I'll have like a, I'll have a little, you know, a little uh, one night stand with like a, like some Billie Eilish music, you know? <laughs> you know? Oh, no, it's so true. I remember feeling like shamed for like exactly. listening to pop and I'd be like, okay, yeah. I secretly love pop. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you'll why be, like, do I need ostracized. to be a closet pop lover? <laughs> exactly. But like, you'll be like ostracized or have a witch trial on you. <laughs> Oh, you listen to that. Well, let me tell you about it. And you're like, oh, I just enjoy it. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of my favorite things is hip-hop music and rap music. Yeah. Like, I love that music. And uh, you'll just – I was talking to people about that before I started writing my dissertation, which includes hip-hop music in the piece. Oh. And uh, they're like, but it's – what's the bass note? Like, two notes? Uh, or it's the same thing over and over again? I mean, what's the point? You know, what – yeah you know and i i i've had i have several controversial theory like like not theories controversial state like things that i i think sometimes like, <laughs> often like oftentimes i feel like um like modernism which is something that i that hold that is near and dear to my heart you know like like people like carter and and, mm-hmm. and Hinsley, you know, these these wild freaking guys like these guys were like like freaking I don't even know, like this aliens compared to like the, like the traditional classical composers. I feel like modernism is much more related to pop music than the traditional classical music that we listen to. Right. And as far as what it's emotionally trying to achieve, I feel like, you know, uh, which is something that I, I hold really strongly in my, my artistic philosophy, you know, the, that, that music or art in general, you know, should be like a reflection of society according to what I produce or what I make. Um, and it seems like um, the emotional aspects of, of pop music and the, the, the lyrics that, that pop uh, musicians set to their, to their uh, works, it seems like these things, these, these, sort of, these sort of very different but yet very similar um, artistic um, aesthetics are trying to combine with each other, it seems like, um, to express, you know, raw emotions um and not and not in the and not romanticizing them per right. se mm-hmm. you know um yeah it's 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 sort of a i guess you i guess it's it sounds weird i guess to some you know but but it's it just seems like it, it's starting to make a lot more sense you know i mean i don't know like like the like abstract art for instance you know i love abstract art i i have a uh um a klimt a couple of clumps behind me, helmet clumps, and I have some murals over here. You know, these, I, of course, you know, when I was a kid, I really didn't like understand or, or think, quote unquote, understand or, or really think much of them, you know, but it seems like the older I get, the more I understand that these works, you know, whether they're visual art, such as these abstract arts or abstracts, um, pieces that have abstract titles, you know, um, are a reflection of, you know, either deep subconscious things or deep human emotions you know like we can't really we don't really know what sadness looks like we know what a sad person looks like or a depressed person looks like but we don't know what the exact entity of sadness or or depression is yes and you know and i I, I, exactly and that's these things i i try to and these things are so um so, so so key to modernity and modernism um, in, in all forms of modernism. And that's what I'm trying to always do with my work. And I feel like that's what, well, that's definitely what the 
the abstract expressionists that I love, like Miro or or Klimt um, or Kandinsky, were trying to do. You know. Oh yeah, one of my favorite painters is Pollock. Yeah. And people were like, but it's it looks like paint splatter. I could do that in my garage, yeah. or you know, it's like no, but there's so much emotion in that. They're like, no, look at like look at Leonardo or or you know Raphael. Look at these great masters and how they depict you know, anguish or fear and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's like an outwardly expression of it. Yeah. But this is like the in-depth from the gut, you know, portrayal of anger or frustration or sadness or... Or even joy. Yeah, or joy. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, I have a, I have a quote in my, in my Instagram bio, in my Instagram bio, that's like, um, it's a Pollock, uh, it's actually a Pollock quote. It says like the modern artist is, is expressing their emotions and feelings rather than simply illustrating. Right. Uh, Which is really interesting, you know, you really think about it. Um, And, and I feel like that's one of the things that um, the camera really, um, that like the the invention of the, of photography and the camera really made people think about what art could be, what visual art could be, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, So that kind of leads into a a piece I actually wanted to talk to you about with your delicate attention. Um, which is based on a Kandinsky painting with the same title. How, how did you look at that and then pull from that your musical ideas and uh, the piece itself? Oh, that's, I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, from everything from how he set up the canvas to how specifically he got with the colors and how I noticed, you know, how every single yellow is a, or, or every single color is is every time it's repeated it's slightly different you know there's a there's a dark yellow over here and this slightly you know brighter yellow you know to the right you know and and the the geometric shapes of of the painting like the, the very extremely sharp angles and and gestures i don't know they sort of they sort of were transcribed musically i guess you could say to sort of conform to the adjectives that I was thinking, or like, like the adjectives that I thought of when I thought of the painting. You know, it was, you know, very, something very sharp and very jagged about this, and something very dramatic about it. Um, and it and it seemed to all play into, you know, the Berlin Wall thing. It seemed to all, to all sort of make sense, you know, I mean, the, the tension, the Cold War tension, you know, before the wall fell, the, um, and and after you know so um, and ang- and the anguish behind you know these these um, two superpowers so I th- I feel like it all sort of they all sort of merge together in a perfect way for me just just to make it work for this particular situation. Yeah, almost like a perfect storm of visual plus political and yeah oral. yeah and you know this piece was written relatively quickly you know i mean i would say like two months wow you know, of, of just working on this particular piece you know just like really diving into it and really stretching it out and you know and really looking and seeing what what all was happening because she was wild 
it's a wild piece. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's such a cool piece, though. It's beautiful and it's wild and it's just, I mean, amazing. <laughs> On your your quote unquote atonal language is just beautiful because I think you get you really have this freedom to explore this expression without worrying about okay where am i at on the tonal scale you know my in my predominant phase have i have i built up enough tension here you're just shooting from i don't know it's like it's like shooting from the hip but you're making all the right shots and they're beautiful and they just ah it was i really enjoyed it (laughs) i appreciate it yeah and i i I really hate the idea of being restricted to a certain amount of notes you know Mm -hmm. When, you know, and, and that's another thing, you know, I remember learning about in music history, how in the Bar- in the Baroque era, you know, a com- the composers would like to portray one particular emotion in their piece, mm-hmm. one particular aspect in the piece, and, you know, how it's progressed more and more now. So it seems like it, it, it makes sense to not, per se, have that when, when, um, when at least with my works, like, I'm trying to create this sort of... Um, almost abruptness when it comes to emotions sometimes, you know, um, and changes of the mood. And, and, and that is something that's so seemingly organic to us, you know? Sometimes mm-hmm. we just wake up feeling depressed or wake up feeling sad or wake up feeling really happy, you know? We have good days too, so like it may randomly happen or they abruptly happen um, or a particular element of the outside world triggers it. Um, and that's that these things, are, I, I'm always trying to like, you know, trying to weave into the to the palette. Well, that's so natural because you can you can have a depressed day but with a moment of joy in it, and it's mm-hmm. not limited to okay, this is a depressing piece. The whole thing has to be depressing, and and that's not entirely how we feel emotions. We can be pissed off at one thing, but also super happy about another aspect yeah. of it. So that's a really you know powerful modern way of looking at that. Is now we actually feel a lot of different things all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Instead of being so so damn dramatic about it, like come on, dude, can can we not? Like, I am sad. I'm in my mourning period. There's no joy. No, can we just can we really look at what's happening here? Can we just really observe what is happening here without being afraid? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good the fear aspect behind that. Absolutely. Talking with you you're very kind of socially driven. Mm-hmm. And I think with the way you think about music, how do you go about using it to portray social um, ideas, realizations from, um, you know, I put on the, on the questions, uh, what do you think music can do for a fight for social equality or realization of minorities that other forms of art might not be able to do? I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a loaded question, and it's a it's a it's a difficult one because I mean, I don't know because it's like I I feel like it may it would be easier. It's it's I feel like I feel like it may be slightly easier in another genre than it is in the classical music industry. I feel like I feel like quality, um, whether it's racial or 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 sec or a sexist issue, um, or even an ageist issue, you know, is something that is extremely prevalent in in the conservatism of of classical music um and it's extremely upsetting and and problematic um Mm -hmm. it it really puts us in the dust as far as as progression 
um, onto new things and onto development in, in this particular genre. And, um, you know, that's why I, I look to, I, I think so much of, of pop music, of course, but of course we all have, of course all genres have their, their problems. But I, I look to like a lot to pop music due to the fact that they, they are so progressive yeah. and so much more progressive, even though of course they have their problems, but compared to us, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I remember when I was in middle school and in elementary school and I would force my mom to take me to the symphony, you know, and the, the, the lack of black people in the North Carolina symphony. When I was a kid, I don't remember there being any minority in the North Carolina symphony other than older white men. And even the, the amount of women was, honestly, I wouldn't say over 15%, maybe even 10%. You know, um, and so it's just such a problem. But, you know, when you look at pop music, you see a lot more, um, at least I think you, you'd see a lot more equality when it comes to the amount of women or the amount of minorities in pop music. If anything, there's even more minorities in women than there are, you know, um, the, the basic, you know, older white male, um, <laughs> you know, and programming too. So it's, I, I think, you know, I think I think there's there's something to be said about saying it, you know, quote unquote, as James Brown would say, saying it loud and proud, you know, saying something really um, not not per se in a literal sense loud, but I mean, it could be, you know, in classical music um, to really get yourself grounded as a as an artist. Um, and I think, you know, me reflecting and me trying to reflect um, problems and, you know, chaos or 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 wild emotional states in, in, in my music about society, I think um, it's, it's, it's attempting to really like allow the audience or even the orchestra to really look at themselves in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of contemporary music does. Um, I think a lot of it is, is make forcing, especially I feel like modernity, because it's really a slap in the face, a cold, hard slap in the face sometimes too, um, to really look at yourself as who you are. And um, I feel like that's maybe, that's may be the reason why it's so difficult for people to appreciate abstraction um, yeah. because it is so, it's almost, it, you know, it's about so many things that it becomes so less concrete. And so, so much debt, uh, it has so many deep, profound things in it that it becomes so abstract. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think um, listening uh, in the quote in particular, it puts us in the dust. I think, you know, classical music, as you look over the years, has always lagged like mm -hmm. horribly behind its its other contemporaries like art and dance. I mean, they're always light years ahead of us. So it, oh, it makes sense that music is classical music is like, oh, so shoot, everyone's going up the ladder. Should I go too? <laughs> but it's it, it's exciting to to talk with young composers and to 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 for to know like, yes, we're thinking about this thing. This is a horrible and we want to change it and we want to express this and we want to pull ourselves mm -hmm. forward. So it's just exciting to, you know, hear somebody so fired up about this and be like, no, Wait. we're bringing it. We're going up the ladder too. Everybody's coming, get your ass. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're light years behind. And, and there's just so much, um, you know, like like the lack of wanting to open their ears. The, oftentimes, there are older audience members, as we know, the majority, eighty percent of the audience, if not more. You know, 
um, at, at the New York Phil or at, you know, whatever large orchestra organization, you know, that are so um, reluctant to listen to something new and to listen to have a new experience yeah. other than just being comfortable. You know, mm -hmm. people are so uncomfortable with being, with the thought of being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. uh, but they can't seem to challenge themselves out of their own fear. Play Beethoven 5 again? No. <laughs> like, I'll lose my mind. Like, I'll lose my mind. I don't think I'll ever be able to hear, sit down and, and hear that again. <laughs> No. no, it's true. I think especially when there's this bridge, I think, that that happens when, especially classical, because I feel like sometimes it can be so far removed from, you know, it's like pop. You can go to talk to anybody about pop music and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that or they'll have some comment for it. But classical is so obscure. It's in the next room. It's not only in the next room, it's in the closet and it's under the cupboard and deep down. And that's where all of us nerds hang out. But yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's it's hard to to pull that forward and shine some light on that when a you don't have as been aware of it in the next room, um, but it is it's an exciting thing to think about pulling um, pulling classical into a more mainstream light and not having it be just Beethoven or Mahler or somebody you know old dead and white that we've heard before, but you know just these new exciting things that we can do with our orchestras and that you know young composers are writing about and. Yeah, how we come out of dust? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like you know, some people are so afraid. You know, organizations, large organizations, and even small organizations in classrooms are so afraid to take risk with their audience so that they baby them, yeah. and you know, they, they baby them as as babbling idiots. You know, they they think of them as only being able to take a certain amount of things, mm -hmm. um, and and it's a disservice not only to the audience member but to obviously obviously the composer. You know. Um, so I, if if larger organizations of classical music could start taking stronger and more more extreme risk with themselves um i'm not saying of course gut the entire rep the, their entire yeah. rep of course but like <laughs> come on people you know and that's something i i love about um i i love about Boulez's uh Boulez's programming like I was looking at when I was was at the New York Phil, um, like like I, I guess in January, I guess you know before before it all happened. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I remember looking at a, a a photo, well, a copy, well, no, an original, but like hanged up in, in there back behind the stage of a Boulez program, and it was you know it was one of my favorite composers. It was Elliot Carter's Concerto for Orchestra that was premiered there in. Uh, in like late 60s you know oh like like yeah. the man is i just fucking love him so much but um <laughs> and like he was it was carter and it was a haydn symphony but the haydn symphony came directly after the carter so like haydn perfect. it's perfect that is what we need you need to lure them in with that and then you but but they have to sit through something else something new before they get to that so like Perfect. I love Perfect. it. <laughs> and it was probably a huge outturn, you know, mm -hmm. because of the hiding. But, you know, they, they were forced to listen to something that they per se weren't necessarily comfortable, especially something like that. Yeah. Um, something so huge and something so grandiose and dense. But I, th I think we, we, we definitely need some more extremist programming like that again. You know. I think there's something fun about 
you know showing the wide range of what classical is i mean it's such a it's a huge genre and when you can you know explore that in a concert that's kind of a that's just a fun idea for oh it is here's it's, what it's you're gonna get fun, yeah. we're gonna slap you in the face with some modernism yeah. and then you can feed you some hydens that you walk out singing a, a fun tune <laughs> oh my gosh my god you reward them for for behaving through the garden it's like kind of like eating okay eat your veggies then you get uh -huh. yeah dessert <laughs> yeah. your daily dose of realism your your 15 minutes of what was that in 1984 that's one of my favorite books 15 minutes of of hate <laughs> oh no it's like oh yeah yeah something like that <laughs> i don't know i i just really wish that more of these uh organizations would be braver um i know and it's like i understand that they don't want to upset their backers and things like that but i feel like if you are braver then you might have more people who are maybe not your normal backers be like oh okay yeah. well let's support you more you know this is spicy i want in <laughs> yeah i mean and also it's such a it's such a hilariously capitalistic issue you know you yeah know, you know me leftist composer ooh, i'm gonna tear down capitalism you know but um it's like it's such a capitalistic problem because like if you look at europe and their and the, the, their government support of, of of art institutions compared to us and and their and it seems like um as we know um europe being so much more open-minded when it comes to contemporary music you know it's it's beautiful it makes me want to live over there yeah, and that's not the only reason, you know. So, <laughs> but it's like there are beautiful reasons to to check out neighbors across. There's a cornucopia of reasons to live over there these days. Yeah. And so, and I remember. I mean, I, I keep going back to Carter, but I I remember reading in his biography, you know, that um, like you know, like he was ta always talking about how European orchestras and European performers and conductors were constantly commissioning him. Like like 90% of his commissions were from them and like maybe 10% were from American orchestras. It's, and it doesn't surprise me because I mean, the, they, they can take risk due to their funding, partially being by the government in addition to their culture on new music because, because their music, their music, you know, uh, classical music has always derived from them. And so in a sense, classical music, no matter um, what, what era has always been music, just, just plain music to, to the Europeans in a sense. So it seems like they're just more open to new ideas and more, you know, um, taking risk um, for several reasons, you know, and I just found that really peculiar, you know, with, with that Carter thing and, um, and other modernist composers. You know, um, like, I mean, Carter lived in New York his entire life and he was only, I, he was only commissioned by the New York Yorkville twice, but I mean, but like, he oh, was yeah. only, but like a person like that was only commissioned twice by them, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, it just goes to show, um, per se, the, the sheer amounts of conservatism when it comes into American, yes. and American organizations, you know? I've even talked to like smaller ensembles be like, look, I'll write you a piece free of charge. Oh. Just perform it so I can record it. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, we got, what, what's your style? We got to see how it fits in with everything else we're doing. And I was like, look, it could be three years out. I don't care, you know, yeah. but yeah. if five years, whatever, if I write it and you play it, 
no charge, you know, and they're still like, mm. exactly. Like you're eating for free. Shut up and eat. Like yeah. what's what wrong with you? That's the number of college never turned down free food. <laughs> this is a free thing that you're getting and you can put it up as like, Oh, look at this new young composer or this young person from our area who wrote a piece, you know, and you can yeah. fill that docket for that year, you know, <laughs> Yeah, there's 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 so much problem. There's so much problematic things that, that that happen with that. But like you know, and then when I look at you know um, when I look at Europe and I look at the even the musical culture in general in Europe, the classical music culture in general in Europe, it seems like to be so much more um, in in tuned with um, their pop culture. You know, mm-hmm. not not just their not just their um their old old guard. You know, old people. You know. Well, I found, so I studied abroad in England. I did my master's in England for a year. And I don't know if it was, I mean, obviously I was in the music program. So I hung out with musicians that enjoyed classical, but I felt like there was this, like there were so many opportunities in classical music that it wasn't just this like shied away thing. Like I felt like the younger populations were connected with classical music uh-huh. more. Yeah. They ostracized by it. They weren't disconnected. They weren't shamed. There wasn't that weird dichotomy of like pop versus classical. It yeah. was like, um, I lived in Birmingham and it was like, okay, so the, the Hippodrome's playing pop. And the next door you got the BSOs playing. I don't know. They, they did, commission a lot of new works it was yeah. so exciting and it and people went i mean and they packed the house with it and it was just this exciting easy fluid thing that oh, no it, it wasn't this oh, i don't know it was it was amazing if you can yeah. study abroad i highly encourage yeah. it it completely I, I renewed and healed a lot of my my wounds with classical music yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the show the sheer amount of classism within American classical music. There's so much classism as we know, you yeah. know? And with ticket prices being so extremely good and stuff like that, you know? And just the the, the, the the cultural dynamic of it being, you know, something that rich people listen to or something that rich white people listen to, you know? Yeah. It, is, it is a severe problem um, that, that causes that divide. It causes, you know, it causes in a sense segregation. It causes, um, mm-hmm class divide and you know it, it makes it makes us seem like pompous assholes for writing music like this you know <laughs> to the outside public but we're really That's not true. yeah i you get know? friends that tease me and they go oh hillary works on a classical music i'm like exactly i just like music <laughs> Yeah. My, you listen to my if I put a, my music library on shuffle it's gonna go pop classical rock rap yeah but yeah it's a weird dynamic. Well, this has been fun to talk about. I mean, it's just it's things yeah. I think we all think, but we, we'd never quite get the chance to express and yeah. say, speak our mind. So it's very difficult sometimes. Yeah. And I and I have a big mouth sometimes. So it's like sometimes I have to like I have to zone in on it. Not not with this conversation, but like in like other situations, you know, like yeah. me talking to a theorist, for instance, or me talking to the theory department. You know, something like that, you know. <laughs> you know, but like I I I I have, I have very uh, in, intense and loud ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking up pieces that were inspired by social change or social unrest. Uh-huh. And of the two sites that I was able to get to quickly, like 95% of them are from, you know, like, well, if we look at this piece by Verity, or if we look at this piece from William Tell, oh. or we look at this, 
And then there's two, you know, one by Mark Camphouse, mm-hmm. uh, a movement for Rosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the people united will never be defeated by Frederick oh. uh, Jeffsky. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, those are the two primary ones they go to maybe one by Ethel Smith, but it's just like, especially Rosinski, especially good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I just wonder, you know, is I like to portray social things like currently the piece I'm working on for that group in new Orleans is based on uh, lift every voice and sing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, you know, I just like took it apart and at the end it kind of will reassemble. Um, and I wonder is classical music even the right format in which we could use yeah. to portray this kind of stuff, you know? I know what you mean. I really know what you mean because because it seems like naturally when people hear the term classical music or, or you know, contemporary classical music, they, they, they get distance from it. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, they automatically automatically feel that sort of that's they they automatically feel that classism it just was yeah. vaping out just vapors of right right music. right and you know you don't want to be um you don't want to commit so much of your own soul to it and then for them to kind of be like oh well you know this is you shouldn't use classical music like this or you know mm-hmm. why can't you be more like beethoven or you know, or they always say like the end of the ninth is a big social unrest piece, and, oh and I'm like, Ugh. first time. Yeah. But we also had more. I mean, a lot has happened since the 1800s. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So. Oi. Oh. Now, yeah. I felt that too for my my master's dissertation. I wrote a piece called the Plastic Chorus, and I I haven't got it performed, but it's you know the idea of. Hey, we're filling up our oceans with plastic. Um, let's talk about this. But I think about that too because I'm like, I don't even know how to hand this to somebody. I don't know. Like, I'm, you know, battling whatever I am to put my music out, anyways. But I, I think about that because I'm like, you know, if this was a rock song, this would be easy. You could yeah. record it, throw it on YouTube, get a video, you know, like, but with classical, it's like, okay, it's a huge deal to get. Okay, now I've got to get performers. I got to see if I can get a recording of this. And then once I do that, it is. If, is the the genre itself going to put people off immediately from it? I don't want to listen to choral work. I don't know choral work. I don't identify with it. But if the Red Hot Chili Peppers sang this song, it would be a way different thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a challenge. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's, there's so much. There's so many problems and questions, you know? And it's like with me, I've lately, you know, over the last year or so, whether consciously or not, you know, it's kind of both with me. You know, I've been really battling you know whether to have you know whether my titles you know titles of pieces whether they should be abstract titles because you know because of the works um qualities itself because per se because my music with my music it's not per se about one particular thing or one particular um concrete idea you know so oftentimes i struggle to um, think whether it, it per se needs a title. That's why I like that tableau series, for instance, the, like the term tableau in general, you know, means scene. Th- that was like a perfect title for that situation. You know, it was a perfect title for 
a um, an, um, an expressive piece, you know, for something that was expressing several different emotions, um, you know. So I think lately I've just been really struggling, you know, when it comes to my work and what I'm talking about. titles you know that that's why but also that's such a cliche of, of modern art or modernism in general you know untitled piece number two or something like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, but like it, it, it really it kind of really makes sense so i don't know but i really hate that idea of saying calling something untitled i remember my professor being like nope give it a name <laughs> it's like damn it okay <laughs> yeah and also with a lot of with a lot of new um, new music ensembles are almost insistent to something having a concrete title or to or insistent to have something be about a particular concrete entity. Um, so I don't know that that's, that seems like it's a it's a big challenge for me that I've been thinking about a lot. I don't know. I yeah, been, um, yeah, same here. Like I didn't I don't know I never really know how to title a piece, you know and um the only one that ever like really came to me was when i wrote my dissertation piece but that was because it was inspired by a poem you know mm -hmm. so it was like i just took the poem's title you know i didn't even think yeah. of the title yeah. <laughs> which works which works and it's like music music itself you know wh wh whether the composer says it's this is about this particular thing or not it, 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 yes, may very well be about that, yes, but also there's so many other influences outside of that as well, that it, for me personally, and that's, a, that's also, that's such a modern, modernist thing, to be naturally abstract, because it's, there, there's so many things that are going on within a piece emotionally, or, or how, or how many things it's about. You know? Right, mm -hmm. right, and you, and what's awful too, is that if you write a piece, a certain title, and then oh. it gets pigeonholed. Yeah. You know? And so now you're stuck with this piece that might not get played as much because of the title. Whereas if you had given it a different title, people were like, oh, play that every time, you know? Exactly. Like, I don't know. It's, 
I mean, there has to be some sort of yin and yang, but like, you know, calling something, you know, I, I see Carter piece right there, symphonia. You know, you know, Carter's symphonia, but it's like, like literally right there. But like, you know, um, but you know, like these these things, like like these titles, they 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 sort of just really make sense, but people see it as being overly pretentious, you know, and that's such a cliche of modern art, or being overly or or having too much of a title. I don't know. So yeah, I have no clue what I'm, what, what I'm gonna do here. I don't know. Yeah, and I always wonder if maybe the band world is better equipped for that. You know, mm -hmm. they always seem to be more welcoming when it comes to um, maybe uh, confrontational titles. Uh, you know, so like Apotheosis for uh, Wind Ensemble. Oh, yeah, Apotheosis of This Earth. Yeah, by Corel yeah. Husa. Yeah. Yeah. He oh, actually, my God. He actually died on the town over from, like, he was, like, he, like, his family, like, like, like they settled in a town, like, in Raleigh, back in North Carolina. Like, they, he, like, died at my, be at my best friend's town. Wow. So, oh, funny. Um, but, yeah, I know what you mean about that. Yeah. Husa is, like, amazing. Like, I've always been kind of inspired by him. I was oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard that piece when I was taking a master's class in, uh, was it, like, wind band literature. Because I was just uh -huh. like, I don't know. I don't know much, you know. I'm so used to Holst and Granger and, yeah. you know. So, and then they are like, listen to this one. I was just like, whoa, whoa, yeah. this is so cool. You can make those sounds out of a wind ensemble, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. But, yeah, I know what you mean about those titles, though. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's, he, he seemed like he did it really well as far as that. Like, it was, like, right in between – but that that sort of abstraction and, and concreteness. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like it seems like music in general um, or art in general is always a battle between the abstract and the concrete. Okay, so I kind of have a I don't know oh. if this is a pivot in a weird direction, but what would your dream concert program live or go hear it live? Hmm. Hmm. That's <laughs> I feel like Carter's going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's like. Are we talking orchestra here, or just any particular ensemble? Or... Anything like you could have choir, you could turn around, pivot to an orchestra, maybe a pop oh. song would show up. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I mean, or what would you hope to feel? I guess like what, what would I hope to feel? Yeah. I mean, I mean, with me, I would hope to see you know a mirror image of of our world. Personally, I mean, I I feel. I feel that the art that truly speaks to me is something that reflects what the times are being, you know, not the times of the past, not the times per se, not per, time, not per se the times of the future, but maybe of what we think the future may be in our, in our um, present world, but um, something that does not sugarcoat society that does not romanticize gr like grandiosely romanticize society out of proportion um something that that really i don't know you know what i mean it just like, like really looks at examines what is there and takes it and interprets it for what it really is um yeah because i don't know i don't know it seems like lately more and more it seems like a lot of traditional classical music is not speaking to me as much you know it's not it's not really speaking to me on that scale that i once thought of it as you know um 
you know, and, and another thing with classical musicians, you know, especially at conservators, people love to throw around the term beautiful constantly over and over again, you know, and we, we all do it, you yeah. know, so, but like, music can be so much more than just this one particular thing. And, yeah. you know, and oftentimes beauty in our society can be very superficial, you know, right. so what does this person mean by beauty? Do they mean the societal standards of beauty, you know, or, or do they mean the organic side of beauty, which do we really, really, do we even really understand because we've been so um, filtered out yeah. by uh, societal standards. So I don't know. It's like. No, that's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. Like, um, yeah, I think so often when we, we get to hear, like, I don't know, I keep throwing Beethoven around. I'm throwing him under the bus today. <laughs> Oh, we go here, Beethoven. Okay, so that was a reflection of society, 1836, or whenever he wrote that. Or so I think I really like that idea of being presented with what's out there right now. And mm -hmm. there's the interpretation of wow, that was beautiful. Or, you know, then we can dive into what was beautiful to ourselves as we're listening to it. But mm -hmm. I dig that. I I really like that idea. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know. It seems like. There's a certain degree, I feel like, of escapism mm -hmm. in, 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 in traditional class and in, in, in people that play classical music these days that mm -hmm. list that only play uh, music of the past. There's a certain amount of escapism and a certain amount of avoidance, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, high degree of escapism, you know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and there's, there's something really that really that turns me off about that. Like, like how dare you ignore us and how dare you ignore the, the world as you see it? Yeah. You know, it's like, give it credit. I don't know. Instead of, instead of, you know, oh my God, I keep going to Carter. Oh my God. It's like, yeah, I remember I was it. like circle, bring him back. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, so I remember there was a quote where he was like, you know, um, he was like, quote, my music uh, talks about, you know, and, and is, is reflecting um, the world that we live in and, and not the world of horses and buggies, but of the, but of the world of, of trains and planes and automobiles, yeah. you know, this, you know, it is, a, it is a different time than, than when, you know, back in Chopin's day or something like that, when Manhattan was full of horses and buggies. You know the fact that we've passed the speed of sound. I think we had our guess. Yeah, we have. Yeah, like stuff like that, and and have gone hyperspeed and gone into space, and and you know we've lived through a space age, and we are in the space age. You know, we we have all these per se futuristic things that you know we thought of as not possible, and places like that have no space per se for music of horses and buggies. Mm -hmm. I don't think the I don't think the creators of the Jetsons would have played Mozart, you know, as their theme music. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they had a low budget, they wouldn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that's good. How dare they? I uh, I love it. I love that. Yeah, like like the like like who who are you? Like what are you what are you trying to do? You want the audacity? Okay. Well, and there's something comfortable about it is about you know dialing it back. But when you're, you know, a minority, and you think back to okay, well, what would somebody in my shoes been doing in that age? And you start to get comfortable, real you know? 
you know, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I have mostly mostly black um, ancestry, of course, um, but I have a I have a relatively, you know, an oddly you know sizable portion of me that is also um, part German Jewish and part Native American. You know, and so it's like all these people are coming together, and it's like it's like a person filled with genocidal, like like there's so many genocidal, um, <laughs> oppressive, oppressed people <laughs> on all sides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been this has been amazing chatting with you, and I love getting fired up about this stuff. It 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 warms my heart to get to have these co- these hard conversations when we're not always able to have them. On it probably wouldn't have gone well on social media. Face to face, getting to getting to talk, it's just yeah, it's just beautiful. And I I think the yeah. world. Thank you for more of this. So thank you. Of course. I enjoy this a lot. Yeah, this is very refreshing you know uh, you know it's like you know oftentimes like high key sometimes it's really i find it really annoying to talk to composers sometimes a lot some of them some of them you know as we, hearts, we're nerds you know, <laughs> or like or like other classical musicians you know uh, oftentimes i feel like there's some you know I, I feel like i would rather talk to a pop musician you know more than a classical musician most times but this is a lot better you know than than than, than um what oftentimes I, I stereotype classical musicians to be, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So great. Yeah, and we just, I don't know, if, at least for me, the whole idea is just to make sure that we have like an honest conversation and, mm-hmm. but also relaxed. And it's not like if you have a different point of view than us, uh, you know, then we try to prod you until we get a concession or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is an eye-opening. I just enjoy breaking my brain thinking oh shit i've never thought of it like that oh now i gotta look in the mirror <laughs> so we, we all we all should always be reflecting you know it's like like my mom like loki encourages me to get tattoos it's like she's really bad influence sometimes but like i love I feel like, it I feel like if i already get a tattoo it would be it, i would say something like you know like something like oh my arm like always reflect or something yeah. like that whether it was musical whether i meant it musically or on myself you know yeah 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 that's definitely the opposite usually it's don't put anything on your body <laughs> it's so weird i, I love it I, know, I love it well there's expression with that as well mm-hmm. so i think it's beautiful i mean when i got my first tattoo it was with money i got from my grandmother oh nice and yes, my mom, <laughs> yeah, yeah and my mom was just like you got a tattoo you need to tell your grandma and i was like oh, okay crap because she's this little southern woman from florida oh, you know good. Oh, and so I call her up and I'm like, hey, she's like, what'd you do with my, with my birthday money? You know, and she doesn't say bill because her thick accent, she says bail. Oh, and, yeah. And I was like, well, uh, I got a tattoo. And she's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I got a tattoo, but I told her all about it. Uh-huh. And she's like, well, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I actually have a subscription to a tattoo magazine. And I was what? like, what? Yeah. What? And she's like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Like I've always wanted one, but I never got one. And so good for you. And I was You're like, living the dream. I my whole picture of you, Grandma, is shattered. Wow. That is I gotta do some reflecting. That is a lot. Yeah. Wow. So that was that was interesting. Oh. <laughs> I bet, yeah. 
If I ever came up to New York, we'll go get tattoos together. You should. Match them. Yeah. <laughs> Match them. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This has been such an, a, a fun conversation. It's, I feel like I wrote down like a dozen quotes at least that I'm like, okay, I need to go think about these. So <laughs> thank you so much for your perspective. And this was just so much fun to talk to you. Oh, definitely. So yeah, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. And it was great talking with you. Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.